Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. HD you are listening to a mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Well, Naveen is feeling left out. Let me go to him. Clearly, being the uh, you know the industry body, there are a lot of challenges. You know, how I thought I chose I chose let CEOs run the show. Let me try and watch from from this the side. CEOs come to you when there are problems. When they have to go to the regulator or the government, so uh, yeah, today, you are the today's are they solve the problem anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Now you have to do the tough talking, um, or rather, the skillful talking, if I could put it that way. How consumers pay, you know, uh, clearly that's a bone of contention now. The government has waived the MDR, and now the CBDT has come and said uh, you cannot charge for your UPR for the UPI transactions. So how would you? How do you think companies can monetize payment? How do you think they can make money? Is there a model, business model, which has emerged? Has COVID given any sudden ideas, plans? So there are there are two or three fundamental things. One point which I wanted to add is that suddenly the payment industry is looking in terms of trends more like a real economy. It's for the first time while digitization is in and is a lot of growth for digital options and. That's where fintechs are taking benefit. But demonetization versus COVID, during demon time, the overall payment industry, I'm talking the aggregate values, right? bearing everything. That grew despite the economy and demand, et cetera, taking beating in a demon time. This is the first time, and you see the annual report of RBI, it clearly says that the payment industry also in aggregate is following more real economy because the size that it has achieved we are actually 20% down in the first quarter after the COVID. And that's a first sign that we need to realize that while there's a lot of headroom and there are a lot of things that we have to do, and COVID is going to help us do a lot of work digital. But digital doesn't mean that it's free, right, or it is like economical. There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be invested, right? Even for an example, if NPCI has to look at the next wave of growth, they probably have to budget at least 100 to 200 crore kind of investment in their infrastructure. So coming to specifics of issues like MDI, Fundamentally, we believe that any business activity, if it is done for free in any world or anywhere, or if it is intervened or regulatory driven, free, it never works, especially in evolving in a growth phase. This is actually disastrous. And I think we have been taking that stand very clearly that we are not against helping MSME, we are not help, we are not against helping merchants, but there are multiple ways to help. The, the prices should be always governed by the market and the competition. We should surely find a way to kind of compensate and here the cost that you were talking about is like 50 basis point. So our original plan always to the government was that the biggest beneficiary of the digitization in terms of compliances to the tax, in terms of saving the cost of physical cash, which is like 5,000 crore annually, and it's growing. If you look at their balance sheet of RBI year on year, and also the cost of, uh, let's say, fake notes, et cetera, it's again growing, the frauds, et cetera. It's a continuous trend of growing. If you look at all that cost, if that gets reduced because of digital, and especially if you look at, so you're talking about 1% in terms of direct cost. If you talk indirect cost, if you talk about tax, et cetera, you can take it 
as high as 30 to 40 percent. So we've been clearly saying that if government has an agenda to help MSME, we're definitely there to support by creating better products, creating better solutions, finding probably right pricing model for different kind of customers. But it doesn't work and they should simply provide tax incentives to, to kind of accommodate that. And this is a model which is globally has been working. And again, we said that there has been a discussion that if we do anything on the tech side, we waive it, then probably there is a loss of revenue. So we also gave a solution that, let's say if I'm a merchant who's doing 10 lakh worth of a business in a month, we don't have to waive up to 10 lakh. But let's say if I do another 10 lakh in digital and time like this, can you give me for that next extra 10 lakh something, which is probably half the tax, one fourth the tax, and can you have this cascading kind of a model where more I do, more I digitize, which means I'm actually complying, I'm paying more tax, I'm helping government and the economy to grow. Can I can those benefits come to us? So that's what we have been talking. We personally believe fundamentally zero, you multiply to anything, results in zero. Now, of course, fintechs have a lot of ideas. They're trying to cross-sell many services. But we also believe, I believe that this government has thought that subsidies are not good. We have to be sustainable model. And we've all been trying to build that sustainable model. And that's what we have been demanding. I think we continue to demand that. We continue to work that, work with the government as well as with the other stakeholders. That said, I'm not saying there are not enough opportunities to make money entities, but why shouldn't there be? They are all in the business. Otherwise, we should declare this industry as not-for-profit industry and everybody should be not. So that's our view. And I think we have been continuously taking it up, saying that it has to be market-driven. Interestingly, this has been seconded in all the reports that has come far so far, whether it's a Vatal Committee report or the report, everywhere it is written that it should be market-driven. Hmm. How hopeful are you of getting the government to that middle path? Well, we have no choice but to be hopeful. And I think we have to solve it for the industry. Well, unfortunately, in issues like this, this is a principle. You could create a trade-off, you could find a solution, but fundamentally, you have to align on a principle that is free ever a right thing to do in any world or any business. Well, it should be a choice. Even if an industry or a player wants to do it, it should be his choice. It should not be a law that you can't charge. I mean, then somewhere I see a violation of a constitutional right. I mean, if you have a right to do business, you should be able to do it on a terms, as long as they're fair, as long as they're not oppressive, right? And then leave it to the players. Now, there are players who may give money, actually, to There are players who may not charge. There are players who are doing a job which others are liking, and they are willing to pay them, let's say, a percentage or a half percentage or 2%. Why should they be denied? There should be a choice. I mean... I am a big follower of Milton Friedman, right? He always said that in economies which are developing and you have a divisions and you have inequalities, the only way you, you remove the inequalities is increasing competition and giving choices. Not giving choices, removing choices, create problems. But some of you are even looking at an IPO in the next couple of years. So clearly you have to convince your investors as well. So I need to have a clear business model in place. So. One of you can perhaps answer this, Samir or Harshal or anyone. Uh, how do you look at monetizing payments if, if, if there are constraints like this, regulatory constraints like this? I think echoing what Naveen just said, right? I think it's a principal stand. And I there was a there was a subsidy model in play for a couple of years before that. While it was welcome, it was not something that the industry ever asked for. The industry wants to do open market pricing <clears throat> the market is definitely absorbing the cost and it is by the way upi as it stands is probably one of the cheapest cost sort of models that there is for digital payments worldwide so it was already highly highly sort of uh, economical compared to any of the other uh, sort of 
developing markets. You, you go out into any of the other developing markets, a small merchant typically plays more than the large merchants who negotiate better rates. So in fact, if you go to a food truck, even in a market like the US, it's not atypical for the food truck to be paying two and a half, three percent. UPI was already capped. The RBI already had caps that were at around the 65, 70, 80 basis points. Uh, so I think, I think first and foremost, it's unclear even today, nine months after that, why, why the government feels that everyone in the private industry is going to keep going further and further into the heartland, taking on more and more regulatory burden, do KYC, be accountable to the ombudsman, have to have nodal officers, grievance officers, have to actually pay penalties on risk and fraud, keep doing all of the work that you do in a for-profit industry, keep getting better uh, in terms of regulation, governance, compliance, but not charge. I mean, that is the part that is baffling because we don't want subsidy. We never ask for the subsidy. Uh, as I said, I really appreciate that media might have given it. But at the end of the day, like a company like us, we have about eight to 10,000 people on the ground today and we've just reached year three. We recently announced like our hope or plan is that we actually can go all the way where every telecom player has gone and every parlage, biscuit and, and Tata Salt has reached. It's going to take another 15, 20,000 people. Now, we are supposed to be empathetic employers in times like COVID. We've not fired anybody till date during the, the lockdown. We've kept our entire sales force even when they couldn't let, leave the house. That's a principal stand. When the market opens up, they're back on the ground. We've had over 50 cases of people in the sales force who've had COVID. They are working for the last four months. They're hardworking people. They want to go and service their merchants. The merchants need help. We want to help. Everyone on this call is trying to create or grow the market. And the beneficiary is the market and the consumer and the merchant. You can't grow a market when one side of the ecosystem is not happy anyway. So if the merchants were not adopting digital payments, the pie would not be growing. It's that simple. It was growing. It has been growing year after year after year. That's one part. I think the other, the other key question we need to understand here is pre-demonetization, India was a Visa plus MasterCard plus wallets market, right? Three primary instruments. Net banking was very small. In that market, the top two or three million merchants or stores accounted for and still account for 90% of the revenue flows. That's just, you see the GST data, it reflects the same thing. They were already digitized. The whole idea of a UPI based ecosystem with light QRs, light touch KYC was anyone with a smartphone, anyone with a QR code can start accepting payments. If you are saying provide services to the with a, with a hurdle that, hey, somebody who's already earning 2 lakhs a month, I mean, that was one of the proposals. Somebody who's all, already earning 2 lakhs a month, 4 lakhs a month, 5 lakhs a month, you're again just going back to the same 2 or 3 million people. That in, that part of the industry is over-service in my mind. Right? There are, there are dozens of payment gateways online. There are dozens of post-service players offline. That market was concentrated. We all want to go into Pan-India. To go into Pan-India, if you take by law any new re revenue incentive, I can't even think of saying it will be free for a year or two years and then I'll, I'll get returns on my investment. I can't take a long view. My investor can't take a long view. Is the government saying there will structurally never be any money to be made. That That is where I think we are at an impasse. And as a as a principal stand, I think the industry is still holding out. Because something's got to give you. 
Well, the other big regulatory um, uh, development that everybody is looking forward to is this new umbrella entity, which is going to replace NPCI. I think uh, RBI has thrown open the doors to all the private players to uh, come and participate. So how is this going to look like? Uh, is this an opportunity that uh, you know some of you may look at? Uh, or is it going to create more competitors? How is the play field going to look like? Maybe, Toby, you can uh, start off with that. Sorry, yeah, I think we're, yeah, we, we're always looking at digitization opportunities, right? And so that's really a focus for us. And and so innovation is really what drives our kind of strategy and then the investments we've made in, into India over the last few years in terms of billion dollar commitments that those will continue for us. And so, so I think we generally support initiatives that will look at how do we digitize, but um, we will have to see and monitor kind of like the details and what that really means for us. So we're, we're kind of in this, in this wait and see position at this point. And, uh, but definitely. Naveen, I know you are innovation. looking at it very closely. You want to share something with us? Yeah, of course. I mean, I can't hear you though, but uh, yeah, you're right. So go ahead. We can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, go ahead. Uh, Naveen, can you hear us? Okay, I think there's some issue with the audio. Uh, yeah, let's go to Shilpa. Shilpa, how do you see from an industry perspective, uh, how do you see the players looking at it? I mean, do you see a lot of interest among uh, the private players? So, for one, I think it is um, it is a huge, uh, you know, it will be a huge capital uh, investment. So, there are, uh, I think, it's high barriers to entry from that perspective because there is uh, a fairly defined eligibility criteria and a very high capital requirement. And from a regulator's perspective, I think the two motivations were one to address the problem of systemic risk which i think as you know like you you open the show saying uh digital payments in terms of numbers is exploding so as we get to uh higher volume of transactions regulator will think of you know, think through possible collapse of infrastructure technology so that's one key uh objective and the second is i think just in terms of competitiveness to uh to you know encourage innovation and I think there will be, I think there will be interest. Uh, I think it will require a sort of collaborative, given the high barriers to entry. But I think it's a big opportunity for uh, you know the private sector to come in and take on uh, take on this role of actually building the infrastructure for digital payments. And I think it is widely acknowledged that India does have one of the best infrastructure for digital. Naveen, I view it as hear us now that you're back. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So two things. One, I don't think it's to replace Visa or MasterCard or NPCI at all. I think if you go back in history, I remember when NPCI came with the same questions were being asked by every journalist, every media, that now Visa, MasterCard will have no business. The fact is, actually, all three of them have grown very well in the last decade or so. So first, we have to understand, like Samir said, that we are very well served to a top 150 million customers, if you were to take some number, I mean, give 10% here and there. When it comes to being properly digital. Uh, interestingly, the industry is very, very large. I think 1,700 black crore is not a small number by any stretch. It's 10x of our GDP. It's growing rapidly. 
but at the same time look at the opportunity next 500 600 million needs to be served on urgent basis so if you have to be digital at least of 50% of a population that's an opportunity it means you really have to go to interland you need to go to a different segment of customers even within metro cities and even within cities and i always tell a lot of people that it's not that your customers are all served even in the metro cities and the rest of the cities you actually have sometimes larger population even in those areas i mean i give example of mankur for an example in mumbai people there it's a one of the largest populated slum probably next to dharavi and bigger than that probably the large, large number of people there still needs to be served so it's a very large opportunity there are pockets i also believe payments is always a use case based solution it's not a product based solution i think it's wrong for us to assume that we have one product and it will fill into every shoes and you will be able to solve all the problems i think it works other way around you need to go to a use cases i remember my earlier days when we were doing rctc transaction needed to get into a different customer uber is a different kind of a customer so every customer is different every use case is different you could use the same stack same platform but you have to fine tune and tweak that program which means you need innovation you need more participation and i think that's where rbi is looking at expanding the market and we believe that my personal belief is that i mean of course i'm seriously interested but there will be at least 8 to 10 serious applicants and hopefully this will expand the market from current 15% digital maybe about 50 60% maybe a decade decade and a half that's what it will take but that is where actually we will really start seeing our vision of digital india also coming through because without digital money digital india cannot happen digital economy cannot happen so i personally see it as a very important move from rbi very good one actually something which will benefit even existing players because they all have to interoperate they have to all work together so it's actually going to grow the industry rapidly so some, something like a digitally atmanirbhar bharat we are going to be well that i mean i don't want to be political i think we fairly are in some areas and some areas we are not for example oil will never be right so it depends which trends you want to see sure till the time we have a different ecosystem of electric vehicles etc so yeah but in payments well we could be if we take again few more steps like digital currency for an example the central bank issued digital currency is a very hot topic maybe some of these nus can bring in some models which could be interesting to kind of uh, do some work in that area along with the regulators and government so there are plenty of opportunities and we need to do something komita right so i mean going back to you know when you're talking about digital india now a lot of the discussions we hear around uh, the digital ecosystem is focused on smartphone users but we have around 350 million people on feature phones on 2g networks and in general telcos google facebooks of the world are all trying to look at ways to convert these people into internet users and i'm sure this is also an extended market that you are also all of you are also looking at now what i want to understand is how can the fintech ecosystem look at develop look at uh, you know developing a more inclusive payment solution for people across say rural india across the migrant labor force people who are largely feature phone users what are the current challenges in bringing these people into the digital uh, payments uh, fold and how can we possibly look at developing solutions for this base i think i would like to throw this question to harshal first uh, how do you see uh, these kind of solutions developing yeah thanks i think uh, 
I think the way we look at it is that, like, as everyone said, that we have so far built solutions only for the top 150 million consumers. And as we go down, there are different kind of solutions needed. I think UPI was a very strong step in that regard that it uh, brings digital payments available to customer base who doesn't know how to use a debit card, who has never used a credit card, but is using a smartphone and can download a UPI app and basically connect, uh, connect that. Uh, so from an infrastructure perspective, I think UPA brings us that infrastructure that everyone with a smartphone is at least reachable, which is a good percentage of the population, which is still not started using digital payments. For going below that, I think we'll need to build other form of payment instruments. And uh, one convention always going, uh, one convention that keeps going around is that uh, a UPA equivalent for feature phones. And there have been steps in that regard. And PCIs uh, and a couple of those players have been working on that. But I think. Going back to the earlier point, I think having more players participate uh, in that conversation will end up being the best driver of this. Uh, because while the government can think and launch one instrument, launch second instrument, but the best innovation comes in ground, comes grounds up, right? So if you have, let's say, if you have an NUE equivalent which is doing similar stuff as NPCI, targeting a different base of population, when you have an open market where people like uh, Sami, people like us, can work towards building different solutions. I think that's when you have ground up innovation and you need to have the right incentives for that. I think as long as you leave the market open for that, as long as there is a sizable base to target, people will build solution, uh, solutions towards that. And we've already seen some of those things happen. Uh, I think UPI in the state, it was originally launched uh, and with QR and some of the other things that happened uh, with the launch of AutoPay, the shape that UPI has taken up now is very different uh, than what, what it was originally launched for. And it's targeting a very different set of uh, customers, very different set of use cases. And I think that that is going deeper and deeper as the market keeps evolving. Um, I think the only, uh, the only thing that the government can do is provide uh, provide more uh, uh, incentives for things like NUE, things like promoting more players like us, uh, which could end up building more, more of those solutions. And as long as the market is open and, uh, and competitive, uh, these solutions will come automatically. Got it. Uh, Srini, what do you think about this, especially in terms of taking these solutions to rural India, taking extending these to rural India? What kind of, what do you think the ecosystem needs right now? And are there anything, is there anything we can do at present? Yeah, I think uh, two or three parts uh, uh, to the answer, right? The first part is probably I look at it as glass, maybe 70% full. What I mean is, the, the rate at which uh, you have smartphones uh, growing and therefore data consumption and therefore the ability to download apps is a good sign. But as you rightly said, probably 20, 25, whatever percent uh, are kind of still excluded from uh, you know, downloading an app and, and accepting payments. So for starters, um, you know, we work in 40 odd countries. And uh, if you look at Africa, for example, where we see uh, a lot of stuff happens uh, using feature phones and uh, there, pretty much payments means it's digital uh, outside of cash, which is through the phone, uh, where you have something called USSD-based uh, uh, transactions. And that's something that, I, by the way, it's uh, been implemented in India too. It's just that we've not seen adoption. I was seeing some uh, statistics. Uh, the uh, number of transactions uh, probably has been languishing at something like 0.1 million, transaction, uh, 1 .1 million transactions per month, which is nothing at all. So that's one probability, uh, probable area, rather. Uh, where you could kind of, uh, you know, build in some awareness and ensure that uh, even through a feature phone, a USSD is nothing but uh, like an IVR, which is text driven and very intuitive uh, for uh, people who are number literate. You don't even have to be literate. So that's one opportunity. 
but the third point which i kind of see which uh, again uh, we've seen some good progress while you may not call it payments but access to finance is what i would say look at aps uh, through the micro atm network something like 2 and 1/2 lakh atms out there in the market and the micro atms out there in the market and uh, during the lockdown that's one uh, i mean even when upi was down what was what went up was aps so probably uh, uh, having a combination of all of these three things uh, pushing for apps where possible to uh, uh, awareness for the ussd based uh, transactions for the number literate and feature phone uh, uh, users and three uh, uh, giving a, you know uh, having the ability to ca- access cash even in right. during right. these times i just wanted to add one line that uh, See the issue is not technology here. It's about right fitment of the product use cases, right? It's technology already exists in the segment. I think we need to bridge that right. So sometimes we take a X service to someone using a third technology. That combination is not working. I think that fitment is what is getting worked. You will see a lot of changes. Absolutely. Um, so now, as we wrap up this session, I think I would like to throw one of the user queries uh, to the panel. there is a concern that the kind of growth that we have seen in adoption of digital payments and the adoption of the digital ecosystem might not be sustainable in the long run given once things normalize given the assumption that things will normalize if they do normalize how sustainable do you think it will be and uh, do you think this growth the v shaped growth that we discussed can it go back to where it was once things go back or will this be how things go on you know going forward this is the pace at which we continue to grow this is the pace at which digital transactions continue to be adopted in the country uh, i would like to throw this open i think i would start with shilpa and then we can go to everyone else you know i think one big game changer uh, is going to be how we use and protect data and i'll tell you why that is um two key aspects one is i think data protection is critical in building consumer trust and is my my appetite as a consumer to engage with new and new technology and fintech products is i think linked to how i feel my data and my information is protected and i think that's one big gap there is no uh, framework right now there is a bill that that hasn't yet been passed and i think it's critical that we have a framework to actually set out how data is used and and stored and processed and the other aspect is not just consumer protection this is something that samir mentioned earlier from a risk uh you know perspective um i think in, in terms of access to product for example i'll just give you an example if uh, you know you have a, a local vegetable vendor who uses payment solution and he's now uh, sort of in the fintech ecosystem you can actually use that data to customize other solutions for him it could be credit it could be loans so it's important to give fintech access to data but as as important as it is to protect that data so i think it's critical for the data regulation to to strike that very fine balance between protecting data and giving fintech access it out to both in fact i mean they you know they can access non traditional data for and customize financial solutions and create new access so i think data is going to be the next big uh, game changer for uh, fintech so we how how sustainable do you think this is and what would be the challenges no uh, toby uh, was it for me 
Yeah, so I think I think the big game changers, I think for us, I think we will see the growth come back. I think we're still in a cash economy. Um, and in the end of the day, what I always think about is like, are we solving the problems? And I think we talk so many use cases today. And if those use cases ultimately become more convenient, I think many of those will stick, right? If I'm actually able to say like, hey, you know, can I do my groceries on, on a social platform? Or, or if I have a contactless experience, we actually have never really seen people revert back from some of these experiences because they're safer, they're more secure, and they ultimately actually create that experience and that value. And I think that's a, the mission that we're on is to say like, we, we deserve the long-term growth if we create that sufficient value, that experience, and ultimately also the economics for all the stakeholders to succeed. Uh, Samir, how do you, how, what challenges do you see here? Or do you see challenges at all? Well, one, I, I think the growth is irreversible. Uh, it, it's like having your first casual Friday when you work in a bank and you take off your tie and people say, you know, this is just a casual Friday. Then there's this a holiday on a Friday and it becomes a habit. And six months later, everyone starts saying, I'm never wearing a tie again. Uh, it becomes a habit. If it's more convenient, to become a habit. Toby's point, I think digital payments, especially I think mobile payment, because you carry your phone along for 50 other things in your daily life, once you start making contactless payments, A, it's safer, but B, it's just flat out more convenient. I don't need to have cash all the time. I can't remember the last time I went for an ATM, honestly, and that's refreshing. Um, I, think, I think on the data side as well, I actually only see opportunity. I'll take a slightly contrary view. Um, I think privacy is very confused. I think it's overhyped. You take all the sensationalism around it off the table. The problem to solve for is data security and data sharing. That's what freaks people out. Risk and fraud stems when people don't secure their pin or their own device. And when, when companies share data without permission, not capture. I think one of the things I'm worried about is there are so many versions of the data privacy bill being discussed. The worst thing India could do is start saying, don't capture data. That's not a desirable outcome because then you can't innovate with that data, whether it's financial instruments or loans or insurance and other products that people desperately need in a market like us, or it is building better bureaus so that people are held accountable, or it is offering better applications and services. Data is very, very critical. What's important is the rules of engagement between the consumer and the business. Mm -hmm. What is not important is this whole noise around everyone's scared because their data privacy is getting violated. Compartmentalize it. Is your data secure? Is what you thought is being captured being captured? Nothing else. And is it being shared with or without your consent? If the answer is it's being captured with your consent, it is secure and it's being used only by the entity you gave it for. We should stop there. To suddenly start saying it should not be used for things that you've not imagined yet is to, by definition, say you can't innovate forward. And it's not a data economy. And I think that that is a very important point. Right now, it's missing in the draft bill that I've read. I hope they capture the difference. So I think a quick query, uh, I would throw it to Srini first in terms of what solution what fintech solution do you think is going to define the growth of digital or of fintech adoption across the country over the next two to three years? 
uh, we can't hear you mute yeah i'm audible now yes okay um, i was saying uh, we would we, we've been talking about payments till now and surya was mentioning probably anywhere between 15 to 20% of overall payments uh, would be through electronic stroke digital channels so that itself is a huge opportunity and as and when you you keeping and uh, somebody else was saying it's an irreversible uh, uh, track you kind of following and it's only going to increase it's a question of how fast uh, uh, will we grow having said that uh, payments is just one part of the overall financial services life cycle for anybody right be it a customer or a business we're talking about needing of loans it's about how do i track what is happening to me how do i grow my uh, money uh, so a lot of other uh, aspects and one uh, uh, you know uh, regulation that uh, rbi has come out with which i genuinely believe has yet not been uh, by all stakeholders i don't think has been given the due importance including the forming of an sro there is the account aggregation because the first time we've seen multiple regulators coming together and say how do i aggregate data and data by the way is the is is the new oil anyways um, and using that if i were to look at customers the personal financial management the basics how do i give better loans because i have better uh, data how do i help them uh, track and save and grow uh, uh, and if you were to look at smes the ability to interface to a gstn network what okn the new framework and guidelines as far as apis are concerned and then getting a full view of uh, the businesses especially the msmes would suddenly help you uh, bring in a new digital revolution and i believe that is something uh, to really uh, stay focused on and probably uh, watch that space is what i would believe Okay. But on that note, we will end the, uh, uh, the edition of Pivot Perish. Uh, clearly, uh, as the uh, the name goes, either it's pivot or perish. But clearly, the fintech industry is here to pivot to a great to greater heights. Uh, of course, there are challenges, uh, but clearly, uh, this is a recovery which is going to be well supported by the fintech industry. Thank you all for joining us in this very enlightening session. Uh, thank you, and stay tuned. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Bosa, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.